Good morning. We're going to move into a series next week, the Beatitudes, controversial revolutionary words that revolutionize the way we look at God and, and the way we relate to him. But this week, we are, um, every between series, we take a look at Brilliant and the Basics. We consider something that is kind of at the basic, at the heart of either understanding God or living for him. And so we're thinking about the whole idea of responsibility. How do we bring ourselves to a place where our responsiveness to God goes up? We become more response-able. And we talked last week about what's God's responsibility for response-ability, and ultimately he's the one that cultivates that in us. But then this week we think about what's our role? We can't just sit back and do nothing. So what is our responsibility for response-ability? And actually, that's a very easy question to answer, but a tougher question to understand. The answer to the question is able to be distilled into four words. And that's it. Live by the Spirit. How do we become response-able? Live by the Spirit. How does our capacity to do what God wants us to do go up? Live by the Spirit. How does our ability to not do what he doesn't want us to do go up? Live by the Spirit. Prior to change in the Christian life, our lives becoming closer to what God wants of us, becoming more responsive to his will, more responsible. Here it is. Live by the Spirit. What does that mean? If you were given, if you were sick and received a diagnosis from a doctor, and he gave you some instructions about what would lead towards health, I know all of us, we would want to understand those instructions clearly so that we could follow them explicitly. Same thing here. What does it mean when the Bible talks about living by the Spirit? That's what we're going to talk about today. In order to understand it, we need to understand the roots of responsibility. Let's think about that, the roots of responsibility. And if you look at your worship folder, there's actually something written on the front, and we're going to look at something written on the back. And we're going to try to understand this pretty clearly. Again, all of us want to come out of here with an idea of what do I need to do? And hopefully you're going to leave with that. We'll leave with that a little bit clearer anyways. Let's think about the roots of responsibility. And I think what we see is that it begins with thoughts, biblically. Thoughts are conscious or unconscious beliefs about God. All of us have ideas about God that are more or less conscious, and these are at the heart of why we do what we do. Our beliefs about God are critical. They're seminal. They're at the foundation of things because these thoughts lead to attitudes. Attitudes are our response to God's will based on our thoughts about him. So we think this about God. Because we think this or that way about God, our response to God is conditioned by these beliefs. And thoughts and attitudes then leads to actions. Thoughts are conscious or unconscious beliefs about God. Attitudes are response to God's will based on our thoughts and actions. 
the result of our thoughts and attitudes. What are at the roots of response ability? Thoughts. Our thoughts about God. Our beliefs about God determine our attitude toward God. Our attitude toward God determines our actions. At the roots of responsibility of thoughts. Let's apply this to a story Jesus told. Look what it says in Luke 19. Parable. Let me read it. Follow along. A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. Let me insert in the story here. I didn't include all of it. One with ten minas made ten more. And he said, well done, good and faithful servant. Another one with five. He earned five more. Those aren't the ones we're interested in. We're interested in the last guy. Let's read about him. Let's read about, and as I read the story, here's what I want you to be thinking of. What were his actions? What was his attitude? And what were his thoughts. Okay, you got that? I'm going to read about this guy. See if you can pick it out. His thoughts, his attitudes, and his actions. Um, Another servant came, here's the one, and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you. Because you are a hard man, you take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did I? Did you? That I am a hard man taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put the money on deposit? So that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest. Okay, let's see. Remember what I asked? Let's see if we can pick it out. What were the actions? And that's the thing that we can see, the thing that he did. He took the mina and wrapped it in a cloth. That's his action. Okay? What was his attitude? He said, I was afraid of you. That's his attitude. He was afraid. What was his action? He took the mina that he was supposed to invest and hid it. Okay, we talked about his attitude and his action. What am I going to ask next? What were his thoughts? You are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. You're a hard man. You try to get blood out of a rock. And the beliefs, the thoughts led to the attitude. I was afraid of you. And the attitude led to the action. I'm going to take your mina and I'm going to wrap it in a cloth and hide it. Here's my question. Is this man response-able? Is he response-able? Can he do what the master wants him to do? Hmm? You'd say, well, sure he could. 
Maybe we need to work on his actions. Make him invest the money. Maybe we work on his attitude. If we're going to change this guy and make him responsible, what do we need to work on? His beliefs, his thoughts. As long as he believes the master is who the master, he believes the master to be, is he going to be afraid of him? Yeah, and if he's going to be afraid of him, what is he going to do with the investment thing? He's going to have a very difficult time investing. Um, Can he change his attitude if he has these thoughts? No. Can he change his actions if he has these thoughts? No. So if we want to change his actions, what do we need to change? His attitude. If we want to change his attitude, what do we need to change? His thoughts. And we have a tendency to believe. Well, let me ask you. Without looking at the story, there are three things the master could look at. He could look at his action, and he could call him on the carpet for hiding the mina. He could have done that. He could have called him on his attitude. But what he could have called him on his thought. Now, you look at the story, or you remember, what did he point out to the servant? You thought I was a hard man? Reaping what I didn't sow and taking out what I didn't put in? Is that thought, attitude, or action? It's thought. That's what the master in the story looks at. We have a tendency to believe, ultimately, that God judges the actions. You know what it says biblically? God judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's what it says in Hebrews chapter 4. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Get ready. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. They're at the root of responsibility. Okay. Understand the roots of responsibility, and we need to understand that in order to understand what it means to live by the Spirit. Let's think about the spirit of responsibility. And if you have your sheet, we're going to flip back. You might turn to the other side of the sheet. There's a chart. I filled it in. You might put some other notes in there if you care to. But for the sake of clarity, I want us to go out understanding... um, what this passage is describing. We're going to work through the chart. We're going to distinguish between the thoughts, attitudes, and actions of two different sources of influence. One is called the flesh, and one is called the spirit. And so here's what we want to do. We want to distinguish between the thoughts, attitudes, and actions of the flesh and the thoughts, attitudes, and actions of the spirit. And um, and we'll, so let's, let's do that. And the reason why we need to understand that is our spirit is involved in a tug of war between the two. Our spirit is involved, our spirit is involved in a tug of war between the influence of the flesh on that side and the influence of the spirit on that side. We hear sometimes that our spirit, before the spirit of God comes into us, we don't have a spirit. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. 
but the Spirit is pulled into different directions. It is pulled in towards the influence of the Spirit of God and toward the flesh, and we want to understand those different influences. Let's think, first of all, flesh versus spirit, and what I put in terms of what the flesh, when Paul talks about flesh, he can be speaking of, the Bible when it speaks about flesh, can be speaking about this, our body. When Paul speaks about it in Romans and Galatians, it's not just the body. It's more an operating system. And it's an operating system that exists under law. Under law. That's what it talks about in Galatians, under the law. And under the law is distinguished from by the Spirit. So one thing, the flesh leads us under the law to thoughts, attitudes, and actions that occur under the law. And the Spirit leads us to thoughts, attitudes, actions that do not exist under the law. So let's, let's fill in some blanks. The Spirit, let's think verse uh, actions. Actions, Galatians 5.16, verses 18 through 26. We're going to take this list in reverse order. We're going to start here first. Let's start with actions. So I say, Paul writes, walk by the Spirit, walk, live by the Spirit, same thing, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. That's where we got the idea, under the law, by the Spirit. Those are opposed to each other. Uh, Then it says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, Fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Differing actions, wouldn't you agree? The acts of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Look at that list. Column A would be. Acts of the flesh. Let's go around one more time. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy. Doesn't it seem like some of those should have capital letters and the other ones should have small case letters? I mean, even when you're saying this list, it, it, it seems like you have to say it different. Sexual immorality. Impurity and debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, (laughs) discord and jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, (laughs) dissensions, factions. It seems like some of these are really bad things and some of them are not so bad. And what, I guess we're, all of them, these are the acts of the flesh. That's what they do. And so, um, and the acts of the flesh will result from the attitude bred by the flesh, which will be generated by the thoughts, right? Thoughts, attitudes, actions. And then the column B, fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Column A and column B. Column A. Look at look at column A. 
things we deal with. If it's not drunkenness and witchcraft, it's selfish ambition, is it not? Jealousy. Column A is, leads to painful things. And if you want less of column A, do you want less of column A? Would you like to be more response-able? Not to do the things that these kind of acts will lead you to do? How are you going to do that? Just four words. What were those words? Live by the. And what that means, move in the direction of the thoughts, attitudes, and actions of the Spirit. And we're going to talk about that. Um, you want to do more of column B? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How would that be? Want to do more of column B? Want to be more response-able? How does that work? Live by the Spirit. That's the answer. If you want less of column A, more of column B, live by the Spirit. The um, Bible says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his flesh, from that flesh reaps destruction. The one who sows to the Spirit, from the Spirit will reach, reap eternal life. You know what the Bible indicates? It's not so much when and how, but where. If you sow into the flesh, you will get what that field produces. Where you sow determines what you grow. Say that again. Where you sow determines what you grow. If you sow into the field of the flesh, you get what that field produces. What does the field of the flesh produce? It produces the acts of the flesh. So, if you want to do less of the acts of the flesh and more of the fruit of the Spirit, what do you do? Change fields. And we'll talk about what that means. Change fields. Stop trying to produce a crop out of a field that can't produce the crop you're looking for. Um, you want to do more column B? Yeah, sow into the field of the Spirit. Where you sow determines what you grow. Um, the field of the flesh produces the acts of the flesh. The field of the spirit produces the fruit of the spirit. Okay, how do you sow? Let's talk about spirit's attitudes. Um, Romans 8. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry out the Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Do you find differing attitudes here? What are the differing attitudes between the flesh and the spirit? What is the feeling? What is the difference between them? Here's what it says. Um, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. So what it seems to indicate is that the attitude of the flesh is about slavery insecurity. And the attitude that the Spirit seeks to cultivate is sonship and leads to security. You say, okay, that's kind of nice. Oh, it's not just nice. It's not just nice. 
Because if you want to do less column A and more column B, there's only one way to do that, to move to a place where your sense of your relationship with God is less insecure and more secure. Because what are the attitudes of the Spirit? He leads you to believe that you're a son or daughter of God rather than a slave of God. Jesus talked about the difference between a slave and a son or daughter. And this is what he said. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. What is the difference between a slave and a son? A slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. What's the difference between a slave and a son? A slave is more like an employee. And if you didn't keep your end of the bargain, what ended up happening? You were dismissed. You left the home. You no longer were able to live in that home. But if you're a son or daughter, Joel's here. His dad and mother are beside him. I imagine Joel did some things that weren't all that good. He's laughing. (laughs) But they never kicked him out of the home. He never stopped being their son. Is there anything that he could have done that would cause him not to be your son or daughter? No. A son belongs to the family forever. If he was a slave, it would be a different thing. There would be things that you might have done that would have caused you to be booted. And that's the way it is with the family of God. A slave has no permanent place in the family, and a son belongs to it forever. You know what it's indicating here? The deeds of the flesh are fostered by a sense that if you don't do it right, you could be kicked out of the family. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you hear what I'm saying? Column A, all those things the capital letter things, the small letter things, hatred, discord, sexual, all those are the byproduct of an attitude of, I wonder if I'm going to stay in or not. I wonder if I'm in or not. Hmm, that's interesting, isn't it? Insecurity breeds self-protective behaviors. Isn't that what you find at the heart of column A? either self-protective or I want to forget about everything. Sexual immorality, what that can be, drunkenness. If I tie one on, I forget all the things that I want to forget. Hmm. And the fruit of the Spirit is generated by security. I don't need to bite my nails and wonder if I'm going to be in the family or not because I'm a son or daughter, not a slave, and he's never going to kick me out. How would that... Well, we know the answer, doesn't, don't we? All of us are pulled in one direction or another. And we never live just in one place. But to the degree we are pulled into insecurity, that attitude, what actions will we see? The acts of the flesh. And some of those look very spiritual. Hatred can exist within a church, can it? People that would never do sexual immorality but would spread some juicy gossip. We need to pray about X and so. 
Very mean things happen in church. Very destructive things, but they look nice, and sometimes they're done with a smile. Again, none of us are exempt, are we? None of us are exempt. Insecurity. Security leads in a different direction. Love, joy, peace, patience. So what are we saying? The Spirit's actions are from the Spirit's attitude. The Spirit's attitude is you're not a slave. You're a son or daughter. You don't have to sweat it. You don't have to hope you're going to sail over the bar in order for God to say, you know what God wants you to believe? You're in. You're not going anywhere. His promises are binding. And if you believed that, oh, what would happen? What would happen if you believed that more? You would be less fearful. You would think more like a son or daughter than a slave. And you know what that would do? Cause column A to go down and column B to go up. The attitudes promoted by the Spirit lead to the fruit of the Spirit. The attitudes promoted by the flesh lead to the acts of the flesh. Fear results in the acts of the flesh. Confidence and security lead to the fruit of the Spirit. Okay. Let's talk about the Spirit's thoughts. These are beliefs about God. But it says, He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. We two different kinds of beliefs. One is old covenant based, and the other is new covenant based. And the old covenant is this: do what God asks of you, and you'll be blessed. Don't do them, and you will be cursed. It said, "Don't commit adultery." Got that? Okay, I'm good. I'm good. It says don't covet. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. Don't covet your neighbor's life. Covet just means want something that I don't have. I wonder if I'm, yeah, I'm not sure I'm good on that one. I don't murder. I'm good on that one. Thank God I'm good on that one. Except what did, what did Jesus say? If you say raka to your brother, which is moron, empty head, you're guilty of the hell of fire. I don't think I've ever said raka, so I'm good. I've said other things, <laughs> things that begin with F, things that would begin with A. I've said those things, but those aren't raka, you know. So I think I'm good. Um, never committed adultery, but she sure does look nice. Oh, what? Oh, those. If you've looked on a woman to lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. Well, I've heard it said that. It's okay if you notice, just I think it's the three-second rule. I think that's it. You can 1,001, 1,002, whoa, I'm out. You know, hey, it's not. It's, you know, you heard you, can, you, can, you can't keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from nesting in your hair. I don't know what that means, but it doesn't really fit with me because... Yeah, it's easier for me. They, the birds slide right off. <laughs> Not a problem with that. Um, you know what I'm saying? 
conditional acceptance leads to fear. And fear leads to the action of the flesh. Hmm. Hmm. Unconditional acceptance leads to security and confidence leads to the fruit of the Spirit. This is how that works. You know what they say? They've done some research. What is it that allows someone to be loving, to exercise self-control? You know what they've determined? How closely connected they are, how secure their attachment is. I'm going to pick on Joel again. When Joel was young, his mother and father tried as best they could to be responsive to his needs. Sometimes Joel would express his needs in a positive way and want to be picked up. You know, kids will do that sometime and wanted to be picked up, I wants to play. Other times he would express those needs in negative. He would cry. He wanted to be changed. And when he did so, he found his parents to be responsive. And every time they responded to his cry, to his bid to be seen, it was a block in the foundation. And then came the time Joel's mental representation of his parents began to be so fixed that when he hit two or three, his mental representation of their responsiveness was something that stayed with him even when they were gone. And so he, must have, he might have been afraid, and they weren't with him, and then he started to think, wait a minute, my mother and father have always been there. You know what he's able to do? to soothe himself, even when they weren't there. The mental representation that's called object permanence, you know what it's also called? Faith. Faith. Even though I don't see God, I believe him. I believe that he will always treat me like a son. He will treat me like a daughter. He will never leave me or forsake me. You know what they've determined? That sense that Joel had of having a firm foundation of someone that cares for him is why he has become as empathetic as he is. That's what they've determined. The security of the connection leads to empathy. So what Joel ends up thinking is, I'm cared for by people. It's good to care for people good to care for people because he experienced it. And they say that there's empathy and mastery. Somebody who has, and again, this is not all or nothing, but to the degree the connection is secure, there were times that Joel didn't have to look over his shoulder. He knew they were there, and so he could leverage that sense of being looked at to play. And he's developed an interest in things, skateboarding. <laughs> that was his dad that, that, that laughed at, at that one. And uh, music, but 
Joel likes to work on things, likes to master things. We see it in his guitar play, don't we? Okay, that's it. <laughs> but there's, but mastery. You can learn things. You know what else they say comes from that? Empathy, mastery. This one's, no, it might not surprise you. When, and again, when Joel was little, his mother and father, especially his mother, represented everything. Represented the world. If you're a little infant and you know, it's a, and he learned that he could beckon the world and the world could come to him. And that became self-esteem. I must be important because she represents the world and the world comes to me when I want it. And I can send the world away sometimes. Self-esteem. And you know what else it leads to? This one's going to surprise you. Maybe not self-control. He learned they're going to come at some point to another, so I don't need to get everything I want now. Hmm. Self-esteem, self-control, mastery, empathy, all those come from security. Isn't that interesting? Know the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Do you know why the Spirit tells you you are a son or daughter of God? He wants you to understand how secure your connection is. That God will never fail or forsake you. As we come to believe that, you know what it does to us? It gives us empathy. We care about people. Mastery. We can learn things. Self-esteem. We feel capable of working with God, doing things. Self-control. We're able to to wait for things. Um, What's our responsibility for response ability? We're being pulled into two different directions. Two different directions. Naturally, we believe that we live in this place. That conditional acceptance promotes fear, leads to acts. Do you know what repentance is? Do you know what repentance is? Repentance is not just, i got to stop doing those bad things. Repentance is a change in mindset. It's a change in direction. This is not repentance. You know what I'm going to do, don't you? You know what I'm going to do? Repentance is not, this is repentance. Moving towards the Spirit, the thoughts of the Spirit, the attitudes of the Spirit, the actions of the Spirit, this is repentance. I am moving in the direction of understanding His commitments to me. And what's going to happen as I move in this direction? I will do more of the fruit of the Spirit, less of the Acts of the flesh. That's what repentance is. You know what your role and responsibility is? Repent. Change directions. Don't just back away from this. Move in the direction of the Spirit's thoughts, the Spirit's attitudes, the Spirit's actions. New covenant understanding will lead to sonship and security which will lead to the fruit of the Spirit. Can we pray? God, we're pulled 
And that will be the way it is while we're on this earth. We're pulled towards the flesh, pulled towards the spirit. And I guess I'd ask more and more that you would allow us to inhabit the thoughts, attitudes, and actions that the Spirit would have us entertain. We would make more room for the new covenant, experience the security it produces, and the fruit that, that ends up being born. Help us to move in that direction and to help others to do the same. For Jesus' sake, amen.